Hey, it's the publisher here, Mr. Kelly Cole. Listen, if you are a former professional athlete, if you are a former college athlete or sports coach, and you're looking to launch your speaking career, let me tell you, you need a book. If you're already out there speaking and you want to track more high-paid speaking engagements, you need a book. It's not about creating more content to post on social media. It's not about recording a bunch of videos. It's not about doing more podcasts. The number one secret to attracting more high-paid speaking engagements or even launching your speaking career is a book. Hey, I'm the publisher, Mr. Kelly Cole, and I help former athletes and sports coaches create best-selling books in 30 days to launch their speaking career, even if they hate writing and don't know where to start. So for the first time ever, I've created a free case study video that will not only show you how to write a book from scratch in as little as 30 days and become a best-selling author, it will also show you how to attract more high-paid speaking engagements. Now, to check out this free case study video, click the link that says learn more or go to Books for Athletes dot com real quick before you go do not go if you're not a former athlete or sports coach because you won't find any value in what i'm about to share and don't go if your book is already out and already on amazon you won't find any value in what i share over there but if you are a former athlete or sports coach know that you need a book or um, already out there speaking and you want to launch your speaking career go check out that link now writing a book is not as hard as you think it doesn't even matter if you don't know where to start. My case study video will show you how to start and get it done and onto the bestsellers list. So go now. Welcome to the Books for Athletes podcast with your host, the publisher, Mr. Kelly Cole. Mr. Cole, a former athlete and best-selling author himself, has set out to take you behind the scenes of some of sports' forgotten heroes. He sits down with former professional athletes, college athletes, and sports coaches as they share stories of triumph, defeat, dedication, and perseverance. Here's Kelly. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Books for Athletes podcast. Today, I got a special guest. I call him Big Shell, my brother. What's going on, man? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Good stuff, brother. All right, before we dive into your story, dive into your book, in your own words, tell the people who Shelton Jones is. Well, you know, up until this point, I'm still learning, you know, who he is, you know. And I'm talking about him in the third person like it's not me, but that's just something I learned to do writing the book, you know. So, but I'm, I'm still finding that out. But the one thing that I do know about myself is that uh, I'm, I'm a faithful guy. You know what I mean? I believe. I believe in love and I believe in positivity. That's good, man. Where are you located now? I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, you grew up in New York? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Amityville. I was born actually in Copeg, right next door. But I was raised in Amityville. Got it. Okay. Well, let's talk about where did your love for the game of basketball, where did that start? At, at, at a very young age, man. I'm not sure the exact age, but it was around, you know, six or seven or eight when uh, my uncle Al, he, he built a dirt, back court, a dirt basketball court in his backyard. And that's where the love of the game was formed, right there. Dope, man. So did you grow up, did you start out in Parks and Rec? Like, what was kind of your basketball journey and trajectory? Well, the first thing I did was, uh, as far as um, 
organized basketball, you know, because I did the dirt court for a few years, you know, played on certain parks and stuff like that. But that was my main uh, place to play. Uh, the first thing I did was uh, an organized ball. I played for St. Martin's, which was a, a CYL team, a traveling team. Okay. That was the first team that I really, you know, started playing organized ball and realized that I had the potential to do something special. Really? And what, what age was that? I was uh, 11, I believe, or 10, because I played up. Like, because I, I remember I went to try out for the uh, intramural team. Like, I guess the, you know, local team, the every, guys, we're going to have five games going at one time, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I remember I went in there to try out for the intramurals to got people my age. And I, I did a layup and I smacked the backboard. And the coach saw that and said, oh, you know, no, this is for beginners. You know, so he told me to come back the next night for the uh, traveling team, which was, a, you know, I was in the fifth grade. They was, I was in the uh, fifth grade. They were sixth graders. So I went there the next night and uh, that's how it all began. Good stuff. So have you always been tall your whole life or did you have like a growth spurt? I, I believe that I was always like when I look at my photos from a little kid from kindergarten on up, I was always the tallest guy in in, in uh, my class. Always like head and shoulders above everybody. Like at least I stood out like, you know, kind of like that. But I, ha I still had a growth spurt of six inches from my uh, sophomore, from my freshman year. No, from my Man, sixth grade, wait, no, from ninth grade. Uh -huh. Man, I can't even remember the spurt. It was a quick spurt from uh, ninth to tenth, one year. Six inches, because I'm thinking in my head, six inches, that's way too much for one year. But six wow. inches in one year, yeah. You grew from, uh, what were you? What were you, like 6'2", and you grew to 6'9", or what were you? It was 5'11 five, five to 6'7". Wow. Is what the growth was, yeah, over the summer. Like wow. it was a crazy thing. I didn't even realize I grew until I got to school and the lockers were down on my chest, like, and everybody else was everybody was looking at me. Like I didn't even realize it. You know, um, that's the crazy part. I knew I had got taller, but I didn't know it was like that drastic. You know. Wow, that's crazy. So, what age did you start dunking? And I believe it was eighth grade or something like that. Like before the growth spurt, I, I was maybe five ten, five eleven. You know, something like that. And I did it, uh, I believe it was before one of the games I had in the eighth grade. Yep, I dunked in the warm-up line. What did that feel like? It was the most, I never looked back since then. Yeah. Like, I mean, I remember when the, when we finished, the game was over. I went to the park because we played in the gym that was right across the street from my, my house. Usually we played at the junior high, but something was going on. We had to play right in front of my house. So when the game was over and everybody left, I went right out to the park. And I, I, man, I just kept on dunking. I just kept on trying, kept on dunking as much as I could. And I never looked back from there. Wow, man. That's that's awesome. So talk to us about like your high school years of playing playing basketball. What was your career like in high school? Well, um, it was, it was a, a good learning experience, you know, because like, I was able to play varsity uh, as a sophomore. So, you know, I didn't get a lot of playing time, but I did get a lot of playing time in critical moments. You know, so it helped a lot, you know. So when I would get in those situations, I remember one particular game where we were playing against our biggest rival, which was Wine Dance um, High School. Um, we, uh, I got as a sophomore, they were killing us. And I got a chance to get in the game and, and help us, you know, was helping us come back. And the thing that I remember the most about it is the coach, our coach, Mr. Williams, God rest the dead, Mr. Fred Williams, 
uh, I remember him saying, he didn't say much. He never got loud, never talked, you know, and he was like, get the ball to Jones. Get like talking about me. And I was like, and right in the middle of the play, I was kind of like dribbling the ball going, me? You talking about me? Like, you know, so that was the most exciting time for me. But that's when I started realizing that I had something special, you know? Yeah, and that was your sophomore year then. What happened to your junior year? How did you play? Yeah, then, so the sophomore year, I had, like, just practicing with those guys. You know, they were senior, seniors, almost grown men, you know, just practicing with them and hanging around them, listening to them talk, their stories, how they prepared, what they did, how they, their routines, you know. It, it gave me so much experience. So by the time my junior year came, uh, I was prepared for all that. Like, it, it felt like I should have been better than everybody else. I wasn't yet, but I, it felt like I should have been, you know, and I could have been, you know. It was that kind of confidence right in that second year. And then the second year, it just went, you know, out of space. It just went out to another level. It just took it to another level. I remember there was one particular um, interview that I saw, because, you know, back in high school, when the game is over, the next day you run in to you the first one to get the newspaper. You you know, you go in to check out the stats. It's your picture in there, you know. So there was this one particular time, I don't remember the coach who said it, but uh there was an article about us. We had just whooped up some team the night before, and the coach was saying, Man, we thought we could, you know, play this certain kind of defense on them, but that big kid handling the ball could just see right over us our defense and what we were doing. And and uh, you know, we couldn't do anything with that. You know, so when I read that, I was like, oh, that's what I do. I, I can see over the zone and that's what's going on. You know, so it started, the IQ started coming together, yeah. you know, so because I was a big guard, you know what I mean? I was like, I grew to six, seven. So I, I could really could see everything that was going on. And that was the value that we had, you know, so I was because I was playing point guard in high school. Wow. You know I mean, a lot of people don't know that, you know. My stats actually, as a, a point as from high school, were uh, my senior year were 25 points, uh, 14 rebounds, and nine assists. Really? You know, so, and what the, the thing that the thing that people don't see the most, and that the one that I'm most proud of, is the nine assists. Yeah. You know what I mean? That means I was getting my teammates involved. Yeah. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's the thing that I'm most proud of. But a lot of people don't know that, you know. And when I went to St. John's, I mentioned in the book it was agreed that I was going to be um, a point guard. This is why I chose to go there, you know. Never wind up happening, but that's later on, you know. <laughs> so your senior year, you ran point the whole year? In oh, yeah, I was point in my junior year as well. I ran point in my, my, my when I was a sophomore. I was a point because what we was doing, it was like the beginning of the point forward. Where, you know, if I, even if I didn't bring the ball up every time, whenever they pressed or they did whatever, I brought the ball up. But whenever um, uh, we, we needed uh, me to just get, we get a rebound, we just go, we just go. And I was getting a lot of rebounds going. You know what I mean? When I got a rebound, I didn't look for nobody. I just took off because I could handle the ball. I was big. I was fast. So I was gone. And that's how we played. You know what I mean? So it was easy. It was easy for me. Where did that come from? Like, did you have to work on your ball handling skills or was that natural? I, did, I, I didn't do it like as far as drill wise and stuff like that, but I played a lot of basketball against my brothers and we did one-on-one -on -one stuff where you had to dribble right in front of the person and they could steal it, you know, stuff like all kind of just games to have fun. And like, you know, when, when we were kids, there was nothing else to do, you know? So we would do that a lot. Just that's how I really got it by putting in the time, like over hours and hours, not even knowing what I was preparing for. 
And plus that growth spurt, you know, because I was a point guard, like I said. And and then when I had the growth spurt, I still had the skills and the talent to do it. I just was like five, six inches taller, you know? So there were plenty of guys on my level, like back then. You know, I stood out, don't get me wrong, but there were other guys that could have came with me, you know, that were available. But when I took that growth spurt and then I started doing the things that I was doing from that size, it kind of overshadowed them. You know what I mean? And, and they came really so and then we didn't really have mentors that could show us how to make it. Nobody made it out of there at, at that point, you know? So that's kind of the, the way it happened. So, so did, were you nominated for McDonald's All High School All-American or any of that? I, I made the McDonald's All-American. Dope. Talk about that. How was that? Who was on that team when you were there? Awesome. Um, Danny Manning. Okay. The guys that come to right to mind, Danny Manning, uh, Charles Smith, okay. big Charles Smith from Pittsburgh, who went to Pittsburgh, okay. from Connecticut, uh, John Williams, you know, John, uh, that like there's two John Williams that were in the NBA, so they had nicknames for him. One was John Hot Plate Williams because he gave a lot of weight and he had problems with his weight, yeah. and John Hot Rod Williams, which was with, uh, I believe, the Cleveland team. Yeah. But uh, it was John Hot Plate was a high school with me. Man, this guy, John Williams, was a pro. Like, he's the best thing I've seen up to that point. He was like a sophomore, maybe. Well, 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 he left school as a sophomore. But when we were freshmen, I mean, we were at the All-American game, he was acting like a pro. I only saw him, like, during the workouts. I only saw him, he was doing interviews, and he had to go. He couldn't even stay. Like, it was just like he was in it. It felt like he was coming in with his shoes on his shoulder, changing, like, right there doing what he got to do and then just leaving again. Like, it was amazing to me. So I was like, damn, they're saying this guy's so good. And, you know, he's telling, man, we got in that game. That cat had, like, gave us 30 and, like, 30 and 10. Easy. Like, I mean, just without even sweating. So I was, you know, really amazed by him. Another guy who was there was Chris Washburn was also on that team. Okay. Okay. Nope. Stuff, man. That's dope. So what was your recruitment like? What were the schools that recruited you? And how did you end up at St. John's? Well, I was a, a late, I got recruited late. You know what I mean? I didn't really get, start getting offers until, you know, my, the end of my sophomore year. And that was from local schools, you know? And then what happened was I went to this camp, a summer camp from in between my sophomore year and my junior year in high school. Uh, camp, man, what's the name? Paul Savramis was the director. At least if I forget the name of the camp, he knows I didn't forget his name. But uh, it was the Eastern Invitational Camp. Gotcha. And uh, I, I did pretty well down there. And there was a scout down there, um, Tom Kanchowski. I don't know if you're familiar with him, an old school scout, OG back in the day. He saw me and he, he wrote about me. In the, and it was a high school magazine at the time. And he wrote about me, telling people to watch out for me and started calling me the Amityville Horror, you know, from the stuff that, you know, and it, it kind of went from there. You know, and that what wound up happening was uh, that the, after that camp, like uh, my junior year came and, uh, at the end of my junior year, that's when people were coming. Like I started going on. Like I went, I went to visit Marquette and I went to visit Temple, you know, with uh late dog John Cheney and uh, Rick Majerus was coaching over at at uh, over there. That was Doc Rivers was there. And uh at Temple, Terrence Stansbury was there, you know. So and they those were the two teams. And after I went to visit those two teams, man, I, I love that I love Terrence and I love Doc. And, uh, and DJ, from who's from Queens, Dwayne Johnson, who's on that team. I fell in love with these guys so much, I couldn't take no more trips. I was telling my mother, I was like, I can't do this. 
I said, because I want to go to every school. I didn't want to disappoint either one, you know? Yo, what up? It's your girl, JC. And listen, I have to send a special shout out to my guy, Mr. Kelly Cole, and the entire team at Publishing Advantage Group and Books for Athletes. They took so great care of me to the point that I know I'm the pickiest person. This book was supposed to have been finished last summer. However, there were some details that I needed to make sure that the book had because my audience needed it. And, you know, when it comes down to feeding and serving the people, especially as a former athlete and telling your story, you know you cannot be selfish with the material and give it away. And they worked with me from the time of my thought process to the time of conception all the way down to now top 20 hot release best-selling author on Amazon in 24 hours. Listen, if you're an athlete, you have a story to tell, and you don't know how to put it in book form just yet, don't worry, you're not alone, okay? Hit my guy, Mr. Kelly Cole, and tell him what you're trying to do, and I promise you he gonna get you right, all right? And of course, check me out on Amazon after the season. Shout out to the Books for Athletes family. So I said, you know what? Because I had in my mind already I wanted to go to St. John's because uh, growing up, that's who I saw when I played basketball, my coach at the time for CYO, we'd all go to be at his house before the games, watching the St. John's games, watching them play against Jordan. And then, you know, we saw all that. And then, you know, so when they came knocking, it was the perfect, like, I was like, I didn't want to go far from home, you know? And and uh, so I jumped on it. I couldn't take the recruiting no more. Every time I came home, it was somebody else was there. There were people waiting outside. I didn't have a life, you know what I mean? So I was like, you know, telling my mom, like my mom and dad, I was like, if I'm going to go to St. John's anyway, I don't need to do all of this, you know, because I, I just wanted to travel a little bit. And then I started falling in love with these guys. And and John Chaney and Rick McJarris were great guys, like great men, like to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I never had that. You know, my dad wasn't always there. So and then when he did come back, I was already who I was. So he didn't really help so much in that development, you know. But those guys were really impressive to me. And I, I couldn't take it anymore. So I just I said, let me go ahead and sign, you know, with St. John's. And that's how it happened. Gotcha. That's awesome, man. So what was it like stepping on campus at St. John's, your first practice, your first introduction to the team? And like you said, they promised you you would play point guard. What happened with that story? Well, we got to the first day of practice and um, he's, he's separating the big guys, you know, from the, the guards. He's, so he's making them go and I'm noticed I'm seeing it go. I'm saying, oh, OK, this is the separation of the guards. And this is what I've been waiting for, you know. And then everybody goes over there except me. So I'm like, okay, I don't say anything at first. You know what I mean? I'm young. I'm I'm real naive. I'm real, you know what I mean? I'm even a little shy and introverted, you know? Right. So I'm, I go, okay, you know, maybe let me just go with it. It'll happen. Let me see what they're doing, you know? Man, I went and practiced with them big guys. Bill Winnington was over there. Uh, Walter Berry, Ron Stewart, Willie Glass, these grow ass athletic men was over there like waiting for me like it almost I remember it. when I think back I see them slobbering like they're saying come on freshman like man because they they beat me down they wore me out I'm telling you in the book I think I talked about it um the first month I wanted to quit I did not think because you know I had to change my whole game I was used to having the ball in my hand seeing all the action now you're telling me at six seven 175 pounds wet that I got to turn my back and, and keep hold these big giants off of me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I couldn't do it. Like I had my feet, they would actually be sliding. My feet sliding. They're so strong, like so much bigger and stronger. And I'm like, man, what am I got? Like, I'm telling you, I hated going to practice. I would call home like, I wouldn't get sleep at night. 
I, I wouldn't tell nobody, you know, I would just act like I'm tired. I'm not feeling good, but I was depressed, man. I was, you know, I, I really didn't think I could do it. You know, I was really discouraged, you know, like for the first month, it was hell. Like it was torture, you know? When did it turn around? When did your college career turn around? Well, I mean, as far as with that situation, you know, I guess a few months in, I got kind of got used to playing with my back to the basket. And then once we started running and doing things, I could still get the ball off the rebound, take it, dish it, you know. And, and as a matter of fact, and it, my uh, college career kind of mirrored my high school career in that way, where when I was younger, I, I got a chance in critical in, in um, situations. Like, we were so good that, like, when we played Georgetown and different things, coach would put me in in these situations. And and they was pressing teams. Like, Georgetown was always pressing, you know. So I had to help handle the ball. And I was doing the same thing I did in high school, going through. Like, I would, I would have, like, uh, 12 points, five assists, like, three, you know what I mean, in a big game like that as a, you know, young guy, like maybe a sophomore or something that started happening. You know, I would do that. And I noticed that when we would play teams like Syracuse, or good teams that would press us that could have an effect that I would be, I would get in, you know? So I was like, okay, okay. You know, so that's when I noticed it started turning around when I could still do what I was doing originally, but now I can add this to me. Cause, cause after going against these guys for two months, there's nobody out there who's going to be able to stop me. I got, I'm going against five future pros, you know, one or two, maybe hall of famers, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So it was the best training, you know, it was the best training for me. Like, even though I didn't get to be um, the second coming to Magic Johnson like I wanted, um, I did um, learn to have a better all around game to know how to face the basket, what to do, you know, and um, back to the post. You know, it helped my IQ a lot. Dope, 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 man. So what was it like to get drafted, man, to the NBA? I know that's a lot of guys dream, man. What was that feeling? Tell me what it's like. Draft night. Yeah. Um, speaking of being mirrored, like the past, you know, you know, God is a God of second chance, you know, so I had a second chance here again with that. And the, the best thing I could attain it to what it felt like in the draft is what it felt like um, July 13th. When you told me the book was coming out the 14th, you know, what I mean, it was kind of like that since that point, like I, I felt like I was getting drafted, like not that the 14th was the draft. But from that point, I remember feeling like I, I was there when I got drafted. That's the best way I can explain it, you know? Like, because I never got drafted before. How do you know you're getting or feel you're getting drafted a month before the draft and you have really nothing? You know what I'm trying to say? When you're done working out and doing what you do, you have nothing but time to think. How can you not think, oh, man, I'm about to get drafted? How do you think about those kind of things but still stay calm and say, hey, how y'all doing, you know? not being excited, not jumping for, you know what I mean? It took a lot. Like it really, really like kind of um, chiseled out who I was. Like, you know what I mean? Like they call me Ice. Like that's my nickname. Cause I've always, regardless of what I was going through, I was always pretty cool. You couldn't really tell, you know what I mean? Right. So, but but this but this thing kind of brought that out of me. Man, I, had, I started telling people, I was like, it feels like I'm getting drafted all over again. That's you know, how do I live every day and think, what are, you know, cause I'm so excited about this, you know? That's awesome. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but man, that's right. awesome. So right. what, was it, what was it like, though? So like draft night, did you have a party? Were you at the draft? All of that. Tell us about that experience. I did. And that was a, a crazy experience because I, I hadn't on intended to go to the draft. You know, I was just going to go home and maybe watch it at my home 
church or my grandmother's house with friends and people from the road. You know, I was going to think of something like that to do, maybe go, you know, that's what I wanted to do, you know, because no team had contacted me, even though I was getting good reviews when I was reading and what people were telling me, I hadn't, hadn't heard from not one team to come work out, you know? So I was like nervous. Like I was going, you know, what's going on? But then they was like, no, you, you're going to get drafted. You know, so I was like, all right, I'm going to get drafted. So then me, by me not hearing from a team, I don't want to go to the draft to get embarrassed. So I, I tell coach, I say, hey, coach, I, you know, because he, he asked me, he brought it up to me because I was still making up my mind. I guess I was taking too long. So he called me in the office one day. He was like, look, we need to know what you're going to do, man. Are you going to the draft? How are you going to, you know? So I was like, well, coach, I thought about it, you know, and I said, I really want to just watch it at home with my family. You know what I mean? We had a, my family was a type, you know. I said, I really just want to watch it with my family, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, do it there, you know, with friends and things like that and watch it. And man, he didn't like that. I remember that's one of the few times he went off of me. He said, the Knicks are going to take you. What is it going to look like if you, that the hometown kid is not there? I mean, hearing this stuff started making me go, really? Like, you know, because, you know, this is my mentor. Like, this guy, I don't, if I can't trust him, who could I trust, you know? Nice. So I was like, oh, okay, I feel a little bit better about it, you know? So I said, okay, coach. I said, I'll go. I'll go to the draft. And, and before, as I'm going to the draft, I get a, a call in the limousine. The driver says, you have a call. So I, I pick the phone up. It's the Knicks. Wow. They uh, say they want me to come for a workout, you know, for this and that. So I go, I, I detour. Instead of going to the draft, I go to the, do the workout where they wanted me to do it first. So I, I had my suit on, you know, and everything. And they were like, well, we just need to see, you know, you're going to test things like body fat. We know what you could do. We've been watching you for four years. You know, they, they, they told me all this. So I was like, okay. I said, all right. So I, they took, I took my jacket off, my shirt. They gave me a T-shirt. I remember this. I kept on my dress pants and my dress shoes. So I'm walking, I start walking, and like, yeah, there you go, you know, it's easy. So then they're looking, and they go, pick it up a little bit, we're going to just pick it up a little bit. And then before I knew it, I'm in a full-on sprint. Like, wow. you know what I mean? Sweat, yo, everything, in my church shoes and everything. Oh, excuse me, sorry about that. In my church shoes and everything, you know what I mean? And I'm going, and they, and then, you know, they're looking at each other, and they going a little more. So I don't know if they was impressed or what was going on, but they would just kept going, you know. So then finally they stopped it, and I'm, I'm sweating, and I'm, you know. And so they, then, you know, the guys started saying stuff like, wow, um, we haven't seen that kind of endurance and at, at that level, and Low, low body fat, I think he said I was second to Kenny Walker at that point in the New York Knicks that they've ever seen, you know, like that. So I was like, okay, at least that's positive. It was worth it for doing this and got me in my church shoes out here, you know. So then I get dressed, I go to the draft and everything, and the rest is history, you know. Wow. So you go to the draft, you get drafted in the second round. What was it like just being at the draft? Why didn't the Knicks draft you? Well, my thing is, I like, and, and again, you know, after a while, when the anger goes away, you start thinking logically. And, and I started thinking to myself, well, Rod Strickland's a hell of a player. And he might have been the best player, best ready player at the time to take. You see what I'm saying? And if they were looking at it from that standpoint, I kind of understand. But when you have the rookie of the year the year before, and Rod's not going to be happy with coming in as a backup. He's going in to challenge Mark for that. I know them too, you know. He's going in to challenge him. So I think that kind of blew up in their face, but um, that was very challenging for me, you know what I mean, when they when that happened. Because it, when I did look back over the years, I was that missing piece. 
you know? And just like with any puzzle, if you don't have that piece, I don't care how close you get to being to the best or being completed, it won't get done. You know I mean? I believe that that was my space. That was my time for that, you know? And it didn't happen. Like they took him. Like, I think they didn't expect him to be available at that time, you know, and stuff like that. So I'm thinking that's my, my reason, you know, my reasoning, you know, of it, you know, logically. Yeah. What pick did they have? I think it was 19 or something like that. In the first round? Yeah, it was definitely first round, absolutely. Got you. And so you waited around. What was it like when you finally heard your name be called by um, San Antonio? I have been through so many emotions at that point that I heard my name, but like like they everybody saw um, like a part of me go up there. Like I wasn't the same anymore. I was broken. I was disappointed. And, and they saw a piece of me walked up there to get that from the president. And it took everything because I had been through so many emotions. You know what I mean? The tears came. I was overwhelmed. I was disappointed. My aunt came, was rubbing my back, making it worse. I remember Mark Jackson was next to me. He was telling him, maybe you shouldn't do that right now. You know, it's going to really get him emotional, you know, because he knows how um, disappointed I was because we worked out all summer together. We planned, you know what I mean? We was like, like he's going to go do it. Then I'm going to come right in behind him. We, this was planned. This was intentional, you know. Same right. thing here to see things coming to fruition. I remember... Um, a couple of weeks ago, I watched the video of the, the uh, draft. I finally had the courage to go watch it. And uh, I remember watching it. And right before um, the, the commissioner said, because the commissioner said, for the 19th pick, the New York Knicks select. And I remember when he said, when he said it again as I'm watching, I remember that moment, like how I felt right there. I was thinking, oh, my God all my dreams and everything is about to come to pass. Like, and I started thinking in that quick second, that half or whatever that was, I started thinking, man, I don't know how, like I started thinking about how the Bible talks about, you, I'll send you out a blessing that you won't have, pour you out a blessing, you won't have no room to receive it that quick. I got, and I got really scared. I remember and I going like, I held my breath. And then when they, I heard Rod Strickland's name, oh, just the, like the relief that came out and my expression. And I remember, you know, saying an equitive and, and acting like I did in the game when I'm upset, like I showed the emotion. And then I remember looking to my left and I remember seeing, looking, seeing Mark, he, he didn't move. He didn't budge, he didn't change his thing. So I saw that and he was kind of my big brother at the time. So when I saw him like that, I kind of, you know, straightened up, held, got myself together, you know what I mean? But that was like the toughest moment for me. That was my breaking point. Like I was never the same after that. You know, I was never the same. Like a, a lot of time after that, I was just winging it because I had talent. I was, you know, but I was, bro, I was done after that, bro. Really? So why weren't you the same? Let's talk about that. Why weren't you the same after that? Because you felt like they had made you these promises and your dreams and your hopes. You felt like it was yanked away from you or what was it? Not only so much that, I think it was more like because of the things, like the trauma I went through as a kid and like my dad not being there and that, 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 that strong figure wasn't there, you know what I mean, to help me get through or anything like that. You know what I'm trying to say. So when I came into to, um, positions where men needed to be strong and to be this and that, I didn't have that. I had strength from my mother. She was strong. She was this and that. But she was also sensitive. She was also that, you know what I'm trying to say. So in those cases, I would rather pray than fight. You know what I mean? Hey, what's going on, man? It's Dennis Haley. I am the author of The Playbook, The Art of Dreaming. Um, just want to say a special thank you to Kelly Cole and the Publishing Advantage group team. 
man, they were with me from day one until the time I finished and still with me uh, to this day. Um, what a blessing to have them um, be with me and to walk me through this journey and to be a part of this journey. Um, they have been nothing but class acts and they know what they're talking about. And just again, it is a blessing to be a part of this team and for them to guide me down the path to success. So thank you for everything that you have done. I look forward to uh, many more projects with you guys and continue to be a blessing to many. Thank you. When I should have been fighting and praying, you know what I mean? I'm talking about mentality, not that I really just wanted to fight. It's like the metaphors, you know what I mean? So when, when I got to those points, like I, it broke me. Like I didn't have what it took to say, like, cause there were other guys who his dad wasn't there. I, I don't know if anybody was molested or anything like that, but they went from single parent household, different things like that, that are strong men and are stand up. So, you know, I'm not making an excuse or, or any excuses of why, you know, but that's just what I it was for me. Like I did, that was my dream. That was my goal. And everything else didn't really matter to me. I just knew I had to make a living. If I didn't get money, I was going to eat. But I didn't, you know, once that dream was, was gone, it's like everything else is just fake. Like everything else is just fake. You know, the game was not no longer fun for me until I got to Europe and I started having fun again. Got you. So when you get drafted by um, San Antonio, you go up there. Like you said, you really wasn't feeling the same. You wasn't as excited. None of that. Nah. nah. Even um, though you Larry still Brown. got drafted. Excuse me? Even though you still got drafted. It's still, yep. yep. Still that, but see, that's the crazy part about it. You see what I'm saying? Like you would think, and, and I was even saying that to myself. In my head, I was kicking, I was like, what is wrong with you? You got drafted, man. You tripping off because they didn't take you, you know, man. So what? You got drafted. And I'd be all I'd be like, yeah, 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 okay. And I'd be all right for a while. You know what I mean? Then, like you said, I'm in San Antonio. Now I never been out of New York. You know what I'm trying to say? I'm not in my comfort zone. I didn't, you know, thank God for like Vernon Maxwell. If it wasn't for Vernon Maxwell, I probably would have been gone a lot sooner from there. You know what I mean? Because I, he was a great guy. I fell in love with him, Paul, you know, as a friend, as a guy. And, and he made my stay better. You know, like I, I was okay. And I, I was okay. Because what's crazy about that, too, is that uh, Walter Berry was on that team that I got drafted to. And he had an incident with Alvin Robinson that summer or something like that before that. So they traded him away when they brought me in. So I didn't even get to play, you know what I mean? And 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 uh, But I stayed at his house. I rented his house out. He had a dope-ass house in San Antonio. He let me stay there, you know. So that was cool about that. But just, you know, kind of saying how things mirror, mirror each other. Like at the draft when I got disappointed, here I come here to San Antonio. Now I got Vernon here and Walt, and now they trade Walt. You know what I'm trying to say. So it's like, here we go again. You know, just different things like that. You know what I mean? Like, wore, wore, wore me out, you know? Got you. So how did you end up in Philadelphia? I I got traded from San Antonio. We uh, A couple of guys, big guys went down or something. We had to make a trade. So um, they traded me. They decided to trade me. So I go to Golden State. And, and uh, when I got there from the beginning, like when I met Don Nelson, he shook my hand. Not even hard shake. So I know he wasn't thinking about me. A soft shake he gave me. And, and uh, he was like, I, I don't really don't believe in you. 
I, I, this is the first thing he said to me. Like, you know, <laughs> he said, I don't believe you. I don't think you can play in the league. I just needed to get rid of this bump or this stiff. I forgot if he called him Jerome Whitehead was the guy. I never forget that because I remember Jerome Whitehead's name. I didn't know him so great, but I used to go through every team when I was younger. Who was on each team? I knew everybody's names. I knew everything. So I knew who he was. So I was like, wow, you know, he's talking like that to him, to Jerome Whitehead? So he really don't care about me. <coughs> Excuse me. And just from there, it was downhill. Fast forward to when he cut me, and I had to go play in the CBA. And I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, one of the best experiences of my life. Those Tulsa people were great to me. And also, um, Henry Bibby was the coach from the Sixers. So that was the plug. That was the connection, you know. So I went down there, and I played, like, two games or something that I averaged, like, I averaged, like, 25 points, 22 rebounds, like some assists, a couple of blocks, you know what I mean? Doing it all, killing down, you know. So then that on that, during the third game, um, we were about to play, because in the CBA, you could play the same team three nights in a row in the same city. So this was the third game. And I remember going before the game, I put my knee up on the, the bench and I'm leaning over like this, look, you know, listening to Coach Bibby, what the game strategy is and, you know, trying to focus. And I remember him. I'll never forget it, man. He said, uh, before we get started, gentlemen, I'd like to uh, congratulate one of our family members was uh, just called up today by the Philadelphia 76ers. Let's give it up for Shelton Jones. And I, and I, I remember being on that thing. I was standing over that when he was talking. I was like, oh, man, who, who got out of here? Like, I was, you know, because we were playing pretty good. It was a couple other guys. So I was like, oh, man, this is dope. Like, who? I wonder who it is. And when he said it was me, Man, it was like I was reborn again. Remember from when I was broken? It was like I was reborn. Like, oh, my God, I was so excited. You know what I mean? And uh, and, and coach was like, I know it's going to be difficult, but do you think you could play this game for us? You know, we need, really need you. And I was like, all right. Like, there's no way I should have. But I was like, all right, I'll play. But I, I couldn't do nothing, man. My whole my mind was on, man, I'm out of here. I think I had like six points. To, you know, I couldn't even do nothing, man. You know, so, uh, and the next day I was out of there, man. And the Sixers had signed me for the rest of history, you know. Dope, dope. So how did you end up in the dunk contest, man? And how was that experience? It was the craziest experience because I, that's what I did. I was a dunker. So to get there, I, and I had already won uh, no, I hadn't won yet, but I won over in Europe later. But that one of my goals and dreams was to be in the NBA dunk contest as a kid. So how it happened was, and, and it's ironic that uh, one day in practice uh, when I got there, after I signed, I think I was still on the 10-day at the time when I started becoming a starter for the six. I was still on my second 10-day. And I remember he coached Lyon, Jimmy Lyon came up to me and he said, uh, you're going to start today. Like, he didn't warm me up or nothing. He didn't, how you doing? He didn't, like, hey, you got a minute? He, I remember he walked up, he had his pad, he come up, he said, Jones, he said, Jonesy, uh, whatever he used to call me. He was like, uh, today, we gonna, I'm thinking of starting you on Dominique tonight and this and that. And he was like, I was like, Dominique? So everything he said after that kind of like sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Because all I could think of in my head, oh, I got to call G-Man. I got to tell everybody I'm starting against Dominique, you know. So when I came back to myself, um, he, I got the game plan. We did what we did. We were successful. We won. He only had 18 points. And I say only because that's Dominique. You know, he was getting 30 at the time. And he shot like six for 30 or something like that. So I did my job, you know, and we won. Now, fast forward to the dunk contest. Um, it's ironic that Dominique Wilkins gets hurt. 
and pulls out at the last minute. And they call me first to, to replace him. I remember my agent called me. They called my agent, rather. You know, it was Don Cronson at the time. They called him, and I never um, forget he called me. You know, and that was probably, like, the best news he ever called me with. So <laughs> I was, like, so excited, you know. And that's how that happened. You know, the irony in that was that Dominique, uh, I started against him, and then he got hurt and I replaced him. That was so awesome. That's awesome, man. So who ended up winning that year? I know you got fourth place. Who ended up winning that year? Kenny Walker. I spoke of him a little earlier. Wow. He happened to win. Yep, he wins that one. Yep. That's when Skywalker won it, huh, with the three. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, dope, dope, man. So what was it like just being at NBA All-Star Weekend? It was the greatest experience, man. Like it was just, it was unreal. It was unreal, actually. You know what I mean? Like, cause I, I had uh, Mark Jackson was there, Walter Berry was there in Houston with me at the time, so it made it a lot easier for me. I had familiar faces, people I was comfortable with that could help me get through. You know what I'm trying to say? I didn't have to um, go out on my own and try to do anything. I could be with them. You know, and anything I didn't know, I could watch and learn from them. You know, but it was a great experience because. I had a lot of, um, like I talked about in the book, I'm not trying to say I'm Billy D. Williams or anything like that, but I did all right with the girls, you know, at the time. And and, and that was one of our things at St. John's. So when I got to the pros, I was just being me. Like, you know, if I saw a pretty lady, even if I didn't want her, I was just excited, just being friendly, you know, like, hey, how you doing? And I might grab her hand or something. And, and some of the uh, uh, um, veterans would see that. So instead of them, like, trying to bite her, because they would come up to me and be like, yo, Rook, hook me up. Hook me up, Rookie. And I was like, I was so dumbfounded by that. You know what I'm trying to say? That they was coming to me. Like, I, it might sound silly to somebody else, you know, but for me, worshiping, idolizing these guys, when I was a kid, you know, a couple of years ago, I was just a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. And here they are coming to me like that. So kind of like the, the uh, fraternity, I felt like I was accepted. You know, when, when that started happening, you know, really like that. But the, the um, experience itself was so awesome. Like being in the dunk contest in front of 19, 18, 19,000 people and the focus is on you, it's a, a total different thing. Like, as a matter of fact, on one of my second or third dunks or something, I did, I got stuck and I fell, which is embarrassing for a dunker. Yeah. But I remembered that the same thing on the same dunk happened to Michael Jordan when he was in the dunk contest. Wow. So I kind of laughed. I was able to laugh that one off. You know what I mean? But that was one of the most embarrassing times of my life when I fell. Oh, my God. I was so embarrassed. We was at the summit, I believe, in Houston, you know? Yeah. Dope, 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 man. So Kojic Trailblazer, why did you decide to name your book that? At first, it was Trailblazer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I'm a, anybody that knows me will tell you I'm a big research guy. So while I'm thinking trailblazing, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to, this is before I even met you. And uh, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get this out, this, this, this stuff, this story, and this, you know, how I'm going to do it. And so I'm doing research at the time. I'm, I'm doing all kinds of research. So I come across um, something, I saw something Kojic. So then it started, I started thinking, oh man, what Kojic? I'm Kojic. I said, what is going on? So I said, let me look up this Kojic. Let me look this up and see how many of us we are, where we're located. So I found out that there was over 8 million of us and there's a Kojic church in every state in the United States and there's some abroad, you know? So I was like, whoa, wait a minute, what? So, you know, Okay, go on a little more. I'm doing more research a little later in time. I kind of put that on the back burner. I wrote it down because I write stuff like that down. And then I came across, I, like, you know, I don't know how much time in between, but later on in my studies, 
I come across um, Solomon in the Bible, King David's son, Solomon, and the 666 talents that he made a year. Well, I every year was that he made annually. So what I remember when I saw that, because the 666, I remember being a kid and being in church and thinking, because my birthday is 4666. So when I first learned that that was in my birthday, I, you know, like when I got with the Knicks, when I was down with that, with all the negative stuff that I had went through, I would always think that it was 666, like I might be cursed until this moment where I read, uh, I was reading about Solomon and 666 talents. And something said, said it said to me, I heard a voice to say, look it up and see what 666 talents is in modern day, like how much it would be. So I looked it up and I think it was like 82 million or something like that. So I was like, whoa, that's, you know, he was making dough back in those, like in that, you couldn't even, you know what I'm saying? You didn't even need that. Like I was just like, that's amazing, right? So then going along with my studies and, you know, my research and when I'm going and reading my notes and I come across the Koji thing and I, I, I'm like, cause then I was like, how am I gonna, possibly make 89 million dollars like a year like how do you do that so i saw the uh kojic thing when i was thinking about that one day and i was like wait a minute i was looking at the numbers i put it together and i was like 8 million 80 million you know like it's too perfect to be a coincidence so i said you know what i said i'm gonna write i'm gonna get i'm gonna write this book because i had been praying at the, before that to that god could to bless me with everything the enemy stole like like everywhere that I am, I want the possibility of be able to make the money that I could have made if my NBA career was successful, you know? So that's what I felt like I deserved. So I'm doing all this. And so then that comes to me. Kelly, Books for Athletes is probably the best thing I stumbled across towards the end of this process of writing this with Ben Guest. I have been so pleasantly uh, pleased with the way you have stepped me through the final processes of getting my book on Amazon, where we are currently ranked the number one uh, number. That's right. The number one new release after just yeah, 24 hours uh, on Amazon. So I can't thank you enough and your team for all you guys have done to, to help me achieve my goal of being a published author. I had worked at the airport, DHL, all these million dollar businesses that made sense. I talked myself into it that I could work myself from the bottom and get there, you know, but then this comes. And when I see that, now I can see it clearly. So it's like, okay, this is going to do it. You know, I'm just whatever. That's why I was so, when you said today, how do you feel? I was like, man, I'm just so excited because I remember this when it was, all this was just thoughts and notes and, and speak, you know what I mean? Speaking like that, speaking things into fruition that like, like my mother, my sister said this the other day to me about my mother saying, uh, speak those things that be not as though they were, you know? So I was just looking at that and saying how it added up. And so I said, wow. I'm going to have to figure out a way to reach the Kojics because they got to be my main market because there's 8 million of us, you know, they can relate to me better than anybody else is going to be reading it, you know. So that's how it, that came together. And I heard a voice when, when I planned to do it, I heard a voice that said, I, I, I put it in your birthday so you find it. You know what I mean? And that was just so dope to me to hear that. Like, cause you know, we could talk ourselves out of something when God tells us something or when we hear something, we'd be like, oh, nah. But when I heard, I thought it was so dope and it couldn't be a coincidence. Right. You know what I mean? The word coincidence is too new of a word for it to be a coincidence. Like, there's no way this is meant to be. For me to hear that, to say, I put it in your birthday, that's dope. I'm not even that creative. I'm a creative dude, you know? 
So I heard that, and that's when I felt confident enough to do it. You know what I mean? Then I, the rest, I talked to Chaplin, then he told me about you guys, and then the rest is history, you know? Yeah. So how did you hear about us again? Mm-hmm. My my friend, um, um, oh, the reason why the book was, tra- I changed the book from Trailblazer to Kojic Trailblazer after that. And, and when I named it Trailblazer, it was because I was the first NBA player, first one in my immediate family to graduate college, and the first one to get drafted into the NBA from my city. But then guys like Mike James, um, and a couple of guys came behind him. AJ Price, you know, came behind me. So uh, Mike James, one of the guys who came behind me, his brother Anthony is his older brother. I grew up with him. He's more my age, so we're cool. He's a chaplain now, and we were talking about the book. I was telling him about these ideas, the thing I talked to you about, how God revealed these things to me, and he was like, "Man, you really got to get it out." Things up. So I was like, "No." And then we went on, make a long story short, and we hung up. The next day, he called me back. He was like, yo, I was online, and I saw this book for athletes, you know, publishing advantage coming, you know. He said, maybe they might be, it sounds like something you're looking for. And damn if it wasn't, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It was a needle in the haystack. Like, yeah. it was crazy how it happened, you know? All right. What was it like to see that that number one, like you hit number one on the bestsellers list? What was that like, bro? I I, I still look at that today like you know i mean i don't look at it every day like it, but i still go back and i look because it's 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 truly amazing like um it's, I, I look at it as i feel like a dead man who being re- you know who's come walking in their back like you know people i was dead you know what i mean and this gave me new life like this i'm born again from this you know what i mean that's how i feel about it. like it's that important to me you know Wow, that's awesome! What was it like working with us? What was it like working with Books for Athletes? Uh, it was the it was the craziest thing, man. Because you guys made it so easy. Like you made it so easy for me. You're like I basically just had to show up, you know. And it was the experience was remarkable. You know what I mean? Just because, I, like, because I, I didn't know you guys very well, so I I was trusting you with you know my my baby, so to speak, you know. So and uh, but you guys, it was so easy. Like I can't believe it, it was like a natural addition. Like Dr. Alva, like Dr. Reed, man, it feels like he's a family member. Like you know what I mean? I remember a couple, a few times when while we were doing it, like I would get emotional. You know, the, the book is like therapy, it's therapeutic. You know, and I feel sorry for that kid. And I'm, I'm like, wait a minute, that's me. And I feel sorry for that kid because I never had a chance to. You know, so and it, it was, all these emotions were coming, and he would be, he would say things like, "Bro, look," and because I would apologize, I'd be like, "Oh man, I, I'm sorry, Doc." You know. He was like, nah, there's no need to apologize. He didn't try to emasculate me or make me feel like I was weak because, I, you know, he just said, hey, bro, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. When we finish this, I'm probably going to go and have get, get mine in. He said, but I know I have to be professional right now. You know, and that meant a lot to me. You know what I'm saying? So, and I felt like that. that's like a metaphor for my entire process. Like, it kind of felt like that. My entire process felt like that. Good stuff. Would you recommend others work with us to get their books done? I've done it. You know I've done it already. I've done it. You know what I mean? Because you got we got the Walter the Truth Berry coming next. Yeah, you know? well, we got to get Walt in there. He he playing around. We got to get him to go. He was very excited, though, about my book reaching number one and all that stuff. Like, he definitely called me and sang your praises. Like, he was like, wow, you know. Because Walt, that type of guy, he's always been that type of guy. He's leery. You know, you know, you got to show him, you know, he's, yeah. he might as well be from Missouri, you know, to right. show me, you know, you know, and man, he's excited. If you can get Walter Berry to talk excited about something like, you know, then that means you may. So there you go. And I got plenty more, too. I got plenty more, you know, 
that I don't want to get too ahead of myself with it, but there's, there's so many people that I know that have stories that you you will definitely be able to get out of them. And I know it. I feel comfortable sending them to you, you know? Yeah, man. So I'm me. looking forward to that. We appreciate it, brother. So what's the one thing, before we let you out here, what's the one thing, the biggest takeaway you want people to get from reading your story? That regardless of what you go through, because I experienced that trauma and hell at a young age and still wound up uh, make, being drafted by the NBA. So you can't tell me that anything that, I, that happened to me had something to do with me not being successful or being whatever. It was just, I was fortunate enough to have enough talent that I could still, after that, I could still um, make it be successful in that genre, you know what I mean? To show me, because I believe it's not just about me. It's, this is why the Kojic was so important, because I know that they're gonna, a lot of them experienced the same thing, went through the same thoughts, the same fears, the same, you know what I mean? Because we, we always raised on that same word. Like you can go to any church or on any day, it'd be the same word you hear. You don't never hear the progress. You don't never hear like, and we're begging for it now. You know what I'm trying to say? We're begging to hear something other than will a man rob God? You know what I mean? Without even teaching us where the real tide's supposed to go. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. You know, I grew up Kojic too. You didn't even know that. You didn't know that. I grew up Kojic too. Oh, wow. So yeah, and I was getting hearing the same thing in Chicago. You're right. Well, a man, right? right? We all, that's what I'm trying to say, you know? That's why even in the book, I put all of us, our things are the same, including the, the um, um, the money practices, the, the offering practices, all the same. You know, it's the same thing, you know? And, and it's cool and everything, but where's the progress? You know what I mean? Where do we go from here? You know what I'm trying to say? That same message is worn out and it's, it's play, you know what I mean? We're living in an age of now we're moving into it of of uh, of uh, truth, right? Of, of all the truth, we're moving into this age of Aquarius where it's about truth. We leave in that religion state. So it's about truth. So this is about finding the true living God, you know, the truth and finding it. And that's my mission. And that's why I'm excited about it because I know there's a lot of coaching people that are going to be able to relate to that. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? And if I, I'm not saying I can reach all of them, but I'm going. it's my duty to be obedient. When I hear, do it, do it. I learned not to question. You know what I mean? So that's my mission. And and because there's not even just coaching, but there's a lot of people. I've gotten feedback already from people that said, that, wow, that's proud and really big of you. A lot of people would have kept that to themselves, you know? But I was a little kid. And, and if you, I can go through those traumas and do that and, and make it to a, a certain level of success, then everybody should be inspired and be encouraged. Don't get down when something happens. It's not over. You know what I'm trying to say? Just because something bad happened. That's why we need to get to the true essence of who we are. So we're not so focused on things anymore. We could be focused on growing, being a part of the universe like we originally were. You know what I mean? Plant people like, I forgot the DNA switch, how they talked about us and plants, about how we would become green and they would become black if we switched these things. But that's as close to nature as you could get. You know what I mean? And we just need to know stuff like that, that we are special. Not so we could go up and rebel and do all this crazy stuff, but so we could make the better the world a better place. We could love easier. We could, You know what I mean? Yeah. We, instead of having flashes of genius and flashes of brilliance, we could have it continuously. Like all the time, have a peaceful feeling. That's my goal. 
That's good, man. That's good stuff, man. Anything you want to share before I let you out of here? We got three minutes. Anything else on your heart? Anything else you want to share? But this has been amazing, man. I encourage everybody to get the book. We didn't even touch on a lot of right. things. The Absolutely. Book. There's so many things you need to go read this book, I promise you. Um, but is there anything on your heart you want to leave the people with? Yes. Like, I, I don't want, like, there's a lot of things in my book. I use a lot of metaphors. And one example of a metaphor that I used is when I talked about the slave masters. And I said the slave masters didn't teach us that we were self-sufficient and how to be and how to do all that because I wanted them to get a vision of the white slave master from back in the slave. But I don't know nothing about that. I can't speak about that. So even though I can use that for, for visual, I, I was talking about our pastors, the ones who embed the stuff and who makes us slaves to this information that we're getting. Those are the slave masters that I was talking about, you know? And this is why I'm looking forward to getting out on tour and speaking and things so I can explain the metaphors and I can see, you know, so everybody can see, because it's usually the opposite of what you taught was taught. I'm learning that it's usually the opposite. Like when they're talking about um, when you, we leave in the, the uh, Earth's atmosphere and everything, everybody's talking about going up and going out that way. That's how we taught from kids. We heard that. That's the logical way. But now we're hearing that it's in the sea, like with that, uh, uh, what's name that, you know, the that stuff that's going on with that, uh, submarine. whatever, the, the, yeah, the submarine and all that. Now it's starting, the information's coming in, it's that way in the portal, you know. So you never know. And that's all I want to do, too. It's kind of just spark that creativity, the pineal gland, get it open for us to believe. And, and when we get, can get to a place where we believe who we are and we know who we are, we can do these things consistently. You know what I mean? Imagine that kind of life, you know? Mm -hmm. Perfect, man. Perfect, perfect. How can people reach you if they want to book you to speak? Or do you do basketball clinics and things like that? How can people reach out to you? I do. Like, I, I'm not, like, as of right now, I'm not organized as far as doing that. But I will be able to do that. Like, but you can reach me on Facebook. Like, that's probably the best way to get me. Like, you hit me on Facebook, I respond to that. Because most of my friends from back home and everything, we older G. That's how we connect. You know, I don't know about everything else, but Facebook is probably the best way. You're going to find me on Facebook and I will respond. You know what I mean? So if you have no other way of contacting me, hit me up on Facebook for sure. Good stuff, man. Thank you so much for being a guest, man. This is powerful. Congrats on the book. Congrats on all the success from the book, man. And this is just the beginning, as you know. Absolutely. So much more. Absolutely, man. But thank you so much, bro. Pray you have an amazing day. And um, I'll let you know when this post. Same to you. Thanks for everything. I'm looking forward to talking to you soon. All right, brother. Take care. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Books for Athletes podcast. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, and leaving us reviews. And be sure, if you're interested and you want to get your book done, make sure you check out our free case study video at www.booksforathletes.com. Also, if you'd like for me to come to speak to your students or you're having an event and you need a speaker, I would love to be a part of it. Just shoot me an email at booksforathletes.com. Until then, we'll see you on the next episode.